Welcome, folks, to the 11th episode of No Conference for Old Men, a podcast where three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with a bit of Big 12 coverage added in as well. And proud members of GoCougs.com Network, the group that provides the deepest and broadest coverage of Houston Cougars content around. Conference play has begun, gentlemen, and it was the tale of two games in our first two out against conference opponents. We pummeled West Virginia 89-55 at home in our conference opener, giving Cougar fans around the opportunity to puff out their chests with great pride to kick things off. But being part of no conference for old men in the Big 12, reality comes quick as we travel to Ames, Iowa three days later in the middle of a bitter cold snowstorm for a tough, close loss, 57-53 to to the Cyclones in a game we almost pulled out. We're also at the point in the season where, from an advanced analytics perspective, I will begin to use our current season's statistics as our baseline to measure our play versus using last season's stats as I've been doing up to this point. So today we are all here again with Tom Lidiak, former coach, Bill Walker, former player, and myself, Steve Chang, analytics guy, for this week's episode. And we'll start off with our summary of the initial two conference games played by our Houston Cougars. Each highlight some key Big 12 games we watched as well, then move into a deep preview of the TCU and Tech games coming up this week, and finally highlight some other Big 12 games each of us will be paying attention to as well. Okay, let's get right into it. Lots to cover this week as we kicked off conference play. In recapping the two games played, let's start with the West Virginia game. So, Tom, what are your coach's thoughts on our 89-55 win over West Virginia? It was a blitzkrieg, Bill and Steve. You know, we came out, and it's like West Virginia had never seen, you know, this, this type of uh, defense before. You know, at one, at one point, we had a 68-29 to 29 lead. I wouldn't say West Virginia wasn't prepared. I know they're trying to mix in a lot of new players. Uh, Kirk Creasa was just coming back. Uh, he, he had not been back very long, but... It looked like they were totally unprepared mentally against our defense. West Virginia didn't look connected at all. They kind of looked like a team, you know, that just assembled and, uh, hey, you know, hey, we're going to do this and let's go see if it works. But it was tough to see an identity that West Virginia had, tough to see any type of role definition or cohesiveness on offense or defense. You know, it doesn't help when you're trying, you know, Coach Eilert doesn't help when you have all these new players and you're, you're trying to figure it out against our defense. That was not a good recipe for West Virginia. A few notes here. I actually thought when we played Texas State and A&M Corpus Christi that they played tougher D than West Virginia did. You know, even though we beat Texas State pretty good and A&M Corpus Christi pretty good, uh, you know, they uh, they put up a battle. I just didn't think West Virginia uh, hardly put up any, any fight. I did like to see Javier slam the ball, you know, it was kind of the first time we seen him this year when he got the ball in there and he had a chance to just go up and slam it. He did. That was good news. You know, we're up 48-22 at half. Uh, like I mentioned a couple of seconds ago, we got up 68-29. to 29. From then on, it was, uh, I wouldn't say it's garbage time because there's no garbage time in a, in, a, in a great program, but it's kind of hard to sustain, you know, when you're up by that many points at the rest of the world. A couple more notes I had here. At 6.30 in the first half, West Virginia goes to, to a 2-3 zone. And I heard Coach Sampson uh, on the radio the other day mention that they had, you know, they had done a lot of prep for uh, for the two three zone. I went ahead here and I I charted it. We scored on the first seven possessions uh, when West Virginia went to a zone. We were, we were seven for seven, ten total possessions. So we were uh, we scored on eight out of ten possessions. So very good job against their against their two three. Great job on uh, Raquan Battle. Just forced him into some really hideous shots. Yeah. You know, he did, I think he ended up with like four points. One was a slam at the end of the game uh, on a breakaway. Yeah. And he gave he a, a really stare, good job on, right? On that, that, that dunk. He gave a stare down after that oh, dunk. And it's it was like, like uh, really? Dude, You've only had. Yeah. Dude, scoreboard, man. Yeah. Scoreboard. Did a great job on Noah Farrakhan. Matter of fact, he was introduced to the nation of defense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I had a note here. It might be you know, worth looking into as the season goes on. But I thought West Virginia was a lot better without Kirk Kreese in the game and Slosinski in the game. And I know the game was no longer in doubt. And sometimes those things are different. You know, once you get like a 40 point lead, you know, you yeah. might 
psychological. You might just not play as as tough D or whatever, but toward the end of the game without creasing Solzinski a lot better. So, you know, going forward, there might be something to and see how Coach Eiler deals with that situation. Cool. How about you, Bill? What were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I thought, and it's a little difficult because Westford, at least right now, I think they will be good yeah. as they go forward. I think when they get Jesse Edwards back, their big guy, I think yeah, I think they're going to be competitive. But this game was not. Start out with the defense, as, as always. I mean, it was just tremendous. Sharp and Dunn. Emmanuel started on battle. Dunn played him as well. They were all over him. I mean, he shot one of nine from the field. You know, this is a guy that, that was scoring almost 20, around 28 a game coming into our game. Granted, on, over three games once he got his eligibility. But uh, he, this guy averages about a half an assist a game. He does not pass the ball. It, uh, he takes a ton of shots. We held him to only nine shots, and, and he did have some fun. But three points for the game. And uh, yeah, we, we held them overall to 32%, and we held their starters to 29%. The, the defense was... As you said, it, it was, yeah, I'd mentioned that I thought this game would revert a little bit back to the norm and turn, turning them over. And, yeah. you know, with good ball handlers, with Kreisa, Farrakhan, Slazinski, who plays on the perimeter and passes, yeah, they only committed 12 turnovers for the game, five in the first half. So, like I said, it, it reverted a little bit back toward the norm. And I think that's going to be more the case as we get yes. into Big 12 play and we play against better balls. Yep. We out-rebounded him by six. I just thought played well, basically at both ends. But I definitely like to highlight the defense because we don't talk about it as much. I okay. thought we were we were unbelievably good offensively. And, and this plays into what you were t- regarding how just mediocre defensively. They played primarily man, as you mentioned. They did play some 2-3, and it, it just didn't. We took them apart. Cryer was his usual self. Francis, as you mentioned, he went right up with the ball. There was no hesitating. He went up, he dunked the ball, which is what he needs to be all the time. Dunn shot the ball well when he wasn't forcing the issue as much, and he was getting passes uh, behind the arc off of Shed's penetration. Shot the ball well. Tugler played an aggressive game. He had a, just a the play of the game by far, but he had that tomahawk. Yeah, off the pass from Shed, which was awesome. I'm not expecting this to occur all that often, but we shot 53% from the field, nine of 18 from behind the arc, which was unreal. 12 of 14 from. We just absolutely dominated them at both ends. The one guy I didn't mention was Sharp. In terms of the offense, he only shot the ball four times. He hit three, but he led us with seven boards. Yeah, and uh, and once again. He was in battle's face the entire yep. time. Incredible D, yeah. And Eiler actually referred to us afterwards. And, and if you recall the last time I said that Eiler fully expected them to finish in the top half of the Big 12. And once again, I'll say what I said the first time. Good luck. Yeah, completely agree. The starters were Shed, Cryer, Sharp, Roberts, and Francis again. As you guys said, team was zeroed in and we started fast and never looked back. Though Cryer was statistically the MVP of the game from an advanced analytics perspective with Ken Palm, I wanted to highlight two guys that really upped their game in our first conference game, and that was Javier Francis and Damian Dunn. Both were focused, not overwhelmed by the stage of Big 12 play, and the light just seemed to go on for both of these guys, continuing their great play from the previous game versus Penn. Cryer and Shed were... Statistically, the Stars, Cryer had 20 points for seven from three-point range and a plus 19.3 player box score plus minus went on the court. Shed had eight points, 11 assists, only one turnover, and was a plus 20.3 player box score plus minus. But Francis was also a plus 10.8 and Dunn was a plus 12.3. Just fantastic contributions from both. Now, from an advanced analytics perspective on offense, our effective field goal percentage, as you both highlighted, was off the charts good at 60.2% versus 50.8% for the season. And we protected the ball extremely well. 
with a 7.7% turnover percentage versus our norm of 14.8 for the season. And we offensive rebounded a little bit below standard at 27.5% versus our norm of 41.4% this season. But that was because there were so few offensive rebounds to be had in this game, given how well we were shooting. So offensively, you're right. I think this is, you know, based on the opponent and our statistics, best offensive game of the season. Now on D, we played at a stellar level all game long, limiting West Virginia to 35.7% effective field goal percentage. And that's well beyond our standard. Forced them to 18.6 turnover percentage, which is below our standard, but probably what we should expect to see as you highlighted as well, Bill, given we're now into Big 12 play. We limited their three-point percentage to an anemic 17.4%, and that's even lower than what we've been allowing all season long at 26.1%. And we're the third best three-point defensive team in the country. And we blocked a staggering 27.3% of their two-point shots versus our standard during the course of this year at 20%. So as much as people were claiming we padded our stats in pre-conference feasting on weak teams, we exceeded almost every defensive stat from our number one ranked defense in our initial Big 12 game. Just incredible stuff. Okay, so now after that high, then we had the game at ISU, which we didn't get the chance to preview. This was our first Big 12 road game this season, and boy, was it a physical grinder of a game. Bill, why don't you kick us off and tell us what your thoughts were on our first loss of the season, 57-53 to at Iowa State. Yeah, I'll talk a little less about this one because <laughs> I, was, I, I was on my feet from about, yeah, I sat during the 14-0 start and Sharp hit the first three and I got up on my feet and I, I'd never sat again other than for at halftime. After the game, I was planning to do a little prep work for tonight. And I, I was just, pardon the language, I was so pissed off. I, <laughs> screw, screw basketball for the rest <laughs> of the night. I'm, I'm done. Give Iowa State credit. They, they, they played well. They played great defensively. They hit shots early. And their freshman, who, by the way, is from just west of Milwaukee, from Pewaukee, if you're a Texan somewhere, J.J. Watt, hit what's could almost be considered a miracle shot. I mean, he's a great shooter, but yeah. God, that was a... Yeah, uh, two guys on him, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Turned out of the double team and yeah. shot it up. And, and Tom, you certainly would know this. It's it's tough as hell. The positives from the game, Sharp, from, from the minute the game started, or very early on, Sharp did not seem to be the least bit intimidated yeah. by the atmosphere on the road, you know, at Hilton. He was ready to go from the beginning. He played a really solid game. He yeah. shot well. He he saved us in the first half. He was great. And then Shed, who had his poor a half, as I've seen him play, he came out in the second half, and, and he was yeah. not going to let us lose. He played out of his mind in the second half. He blocked shots. He created turnovers. He hit shots. It, I mean, he was unbelievable in the second half. We shot, I think, exactly the same as they did. I think both teams shot 38%. The threes were similar. In the end, the difference was they were 18 of 22 from the line. We were 8 of 12 from the line. You know, as, as much as that kind of irritates me uh, when there's a big discrepancy, you know, we do foul more, and so you have to expect that. We're, we're so aggressive defensively, yep. especially when we double and, and going up to block shots. And, and of course we're playing on the road in the big 12. So it's something that you almost kind of have to expect and be prepared. We averaged nine turnovers on the season. We had 11 in the first half, 21 points scored in the first half. I mean, it it looked to me like the team was just lost and there was no offense. And by that, I don't mean scoring, even though there was no scoring 21 points, but it looked like we just abandoned running anything. And prior shed you know we're putting the ball on the floor and trying to force their way to the basket and we turned the ball over we didn't score at all inside uh, we didn't go inside at all and it was tough even sharp who was hitting his shots they weren't particularly coming out of the offense he 
dribble forward, dribble, you know, backward dribble, create a little space and, and put up the shot. And, and fortunately he was hitting them. I mean, we had eight, eight assists for the entire game. Yeah. A couple more players to mention since I'm in on the negatives right now. I think Dunn was completely overwhelmed by yep. the, he just looked lost, and, which was a little bit frustrating, actually a lot frustrating. And then our one player who who's won a national championship and has played in these games, Cryer, he just kind of didn't show up. And, uh, you know, that, that if he shoots the ball well, if he gets, if he just comes to play, I think we, we win the game. You know, with that said, yeah, I had mentioned last time that we're going to lose some games and you can't think the sky's falling and, and we're going to die. I mean, this is actually as poorly as we played in the first half. I think this is a, a great game to learn from. I think Calvin will have a lot to work with these guys on. And, you know, we're a smart team. We play well. We respond well to Calvin's coaching. I think uh, this will be a positive run, I hope. And uh, yeah. we'll bounce back. Yeah, agreed. So I want to at least leave it on a, a somewhat positive. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Oh, boy. I got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and you were First actually off, at the game, right? I was, yeah. I was actually at the game. Uh, made the trek down there through the conditions, uh, you know, the road conditions. I'm I'm so glad I, I made it. Uh, my nephew is a senior at Iowa State, so went to the game with him and he was telling me all about the Iowa State players and all that. So I got a little scout report on him and stayed over his apartment overnight. So I didn't have to drive back. But, you know, from the get go, it was almost like we were shocked at somebody coming after us. Like, could we come after them? Uh, I'm not sure what, what the deal was. Uh, we thought we were just going to come in and, you know, hey, we're number two in the country. You know, we're undefeated. And it's almost like we got sucker punched and took us a while to recover. We held them to 57 points, and you take away a couple of breakaway layups due to our offense. You know, we we hold them to the low 50s. So, you know, defensively, it was there, but our off- offensive ineptitude wasn't enough to carry us. Tough road atmosphere, and it could have been the road atmosphere could have been worse. You know, Iowa State students aren't aren't in session yet, so they have two sections for them behind the backboard, and it goes all the way up to the upper deck. So. Normally, I'd say that's probably twenty five hundred to three thousand students, uh, you know, at the game, and so those tickets went to the general public. So I'd say there was only about sixty percent capacity last night. Could have been a, you know, even a rougher uh, road environment. But first couple of possessions, you know, we couldn't even run a dribble handoff with our big guys. Iowa State just blew it up uh, one time, uh, went off Shed's knee, I think it was, and ended up being a transition bucket on the other end. I don't know if you know how we do our dribble handoffs. If the big man is supposed to dribble at him and kind of set a screen, but we just allow the defender to get in between uh, our big man on the dribble handoff and and our offensive player. And you know, the second time we ran one, Sharp almost traveled. Iowa State. I haven't watched the whole game. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna rewatch the the whole game. But I know Iowa State. They might vary their coverages on the pick and roll, but they started off in what's called drop coverage where. On the pick and roll, if you're guarding the big man, he he drops down kind of into the paint. And if you're guarding the, the ball, you know, you go over the top and you apply pressure to the back. And we just didn't handle that very well. There's three, four, five different ways you're going to attack that drop coverage. And none of them really worked. You know, our bigs, they're not really good short rolling. You know, you could short roll them and, and get the ball to them kind of in the middle of the floor and then have them make a play. But that's just not the type of offensive players you know we have as far as our bigs go. We recruit bigs first to play defense, you know, pick and roll defense and rebound. You know, a lot of times it comes up to matchups and just the way other teams play, and maybe this was just not a good uh, matchup for us, just the way Iowa State played. But I thought we were just like shocked and surprised several times. You know, we were kind of dribbling aimlessly, and they came over and they, they trapped us. Yeah, and we had basically three, four guys just kind of standing around, and that's what we do to teams. Yep. Hats off to Iowa State. You got to give credit to them too, but I don't think we played like we like we normally do. LJ now is 0-4 at Hilton, my nephew tells me. Uh, you know, he was 0-3 as a Baylor Bear and 0-1 as a Houston Cougar at the Hilton Coliseum. Oh, last shot by LJ. Some people are saying maybe Sharp, Shed. should have had the last – Last chance on 
on that shot, but uh, I don't know if he was supposed to do it, but I don't know if Joan was supposed to screen uh, LJ's man, but he didn't screen him. And maybe if uh, Joan screens LJ's man, he doesn't have to rush his shot as much. Uh, I reran that play about 10 times. And my guess is that Joan is supposed to screen LJ's man and he just ran right by him and nobody screened LJ's man. LJ, I thought he kind of had to rush the shot, but it is what it is. Tough loss for the Cougs. Got to give Iowa State credit. I watched a little bit of their Oklahoma game and, it was tough for me to see how good both teams are, but now we know. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, by the way, I'm sorry, by the way, they're the number four defensive. I mean, we're, we're now prepared in case we go up against them again, say in the big 12 tournament, but we're not going to face something that aggressive again. Agreed. You, you, agreed. you know, and, and, not and, against a team like Kansas. Yeah. Sorry to butt in, but you know, there's, there were some things that happened in the game that maybe don't happen in a normal game. Uh, second half, I can't remember what the situation was, but there was a loose ball I thought we were going to come up with, and Lipsy came up with it and hit a tough shot with a guy in his face, yeah. kind of at the elbow. Rob Jones, their big guy, flip a coin on free throws. He's like a 50 55% shooter. <laughs> hit them all. Uh, he, hit makes, them all. Yeah. he makes all four of his foul shots. Somebody yeah. said, uh, Iowa State fans were joking that, you know, he got hit hard on that and hit his head, and he forgot how to miss free throws. <laughs> uh, Trey King, Trey uh, King in the second half, he hit a big three, and that yes. might have been his that might have been his uh, first three first yep. made three of the year. Yeah, that was a and killer. Then of course, and then of yeah. course the the shot by Mom Mom Silova. I, I can't pronounce his name. It's just <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I got another name for him. I can't say on this yeah. show, but <laughs> Mom Silovich. Yeah. You know, we had Shed on him and they threw it into him. And then, you know, Roberts comes over to yep. the double team and he just turns away from, from Roberts and hits and that tough it. shot. So. Yes. So what could you do? Right. I mean, yeah. it is what uh, it is. Yeah. But they, they give, you know, give Iowa State credit. They held serve on their, on their home court. It's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, you know, Ryan said Coach Sampson looked kind of bummed at the press conference. And so uh, on to the next. Yep. You can't sit and dwell on individual plays in a game. You know, uh, players are taught that when you make a mistake, it's over. You know, you got like 0.001 seconds to get it out of your head. You know, the same with this game here. We got TCU, the sellout crowd on Saturday coming up. Yeah, I mean, for this one, no surprise around the nature of the game. It was a slow grinding defense first style for both teams and they were motivated after losing to OU in a close one in their conference opener. Then they come back and find out they were the underdogs at home in the next game versus us. So the motivation was there. Starters remain the same for us. Shed, Cryer, Sharp, Roberts, and Francis. I will note though, to start the second half, surprisingly to me, Tugler started. Yeah. In front of Francis, which I wasn't sure because as, as I'm going to get to, I thought Francis played a great game, right? Especially given the stage and the opponent. We started super slow, as we all know, going down 14-0 to start off the game with four turnovers in the process of doing so. We appeared to be shell-shocked, quite honestly, turning the ball over throughout the first half and just appearing flustered. Dug such a deep hole to kick things off that it just became a slow slog trying to chip away at the lead the rest of the game. If you break the game into quartiles like Ken Palm does, first quartile killed us. We steadied the ship in the second quartile of the game, caught up in the third quartile, and just made some key mistakes and misses at the end to lose a close one. Emmanuel Sharp, I would say, was by far our top player of the game, and I thought he had an exceptional game. He was a plus minus plus 16.9 player box score plus minus for the game and was the primary player that kept us within reach throughout the game. Though Shed contributed a key 14 points and was a plus six player box score plus minus, he also contributed five turnovers and his running mate Cryer only had five points and was a minus 5.4 player box score plus minus. Dunn, as we've highlighted, wilted. A bit under the constant pressure of Iowa State, he was a negative 15.2. But the kid I will highlight really coming through playing well for us, you know, 
beyond sharp was Javier Francis uh, with some inspired play three games in a row now for him. And he came in at a plus 8.7 in a tough physical game. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm on offense, ISU stifled us and doing to us what we've been doing to others. Our effective field goal percentage was an abysmal 45% versus our norm of 50.8% for the year. We did not protect the ball well with a turnover percentage at 26.4% when our norm is just under 15%. And we offensive rebounded a little bit below standard at 32.4%. And to top it off, we shot 26.4% from three, well below our 35% norm. But you know what, guys? On D, we played another stellar game. I mean, we limited ISU to 41.5% effective field goal percentage, which was to our number one ranked standard this year, right? We limited three-point percentage to 20%, which is even below our number one ranked 26.1% rate this season. We forced them to uh, a, a pretty good 19.2% turnover rate. We blocked 15.6% of their two-point shots, which maybe not to our standard, but would still be ranked number 10 in the nation this season. So basically, we played to our number one defensive standard and then some. But in the end, it was the turnovers and missing a few point-blank shots towards the end that really did us in. So a tough loss for our Cougars, but some really positive play in one of the toughest environments around from Emmanuel Sharp and Javier Francis. I'm still feeling really good about how the kids are playing in general and believe we'll learn from the tough D that we faced and will adjust. But tough upcoming games at TCU next and hosting Texas Tech this coming week. So for week one, I guess before we start previewing our upcoming games. What other game did each of you watch in Big 12 play? And what were some of the key takeaways? I'm going to interject here real tough, but with 947 left in the game, UCF is beating Kansas 52 to 47. Really? Wow. Yeah. Big 12, right? Kansas probably pull it out, you know, but. (laughs) With some some of their usual calls that they get, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They'll call out their. Calling oh, card, you know. But anyway, I'll go first on this yeah. one. Are we talking about the game we watched or yeah, the, the game you watched in Big Twelve yeah. play? I-, I watched the first half of Iowa State uh, Oklahoma's game, and now that we played Iowa State, I'm going to go back and watch that game a little carefully. I want to see how OU attacked ISU's drop coverage, you know, because OU scored 71 points on Iowa State. So I'm going to go back and take a little bit better look at that one and just see how. You know, OU attacked it and see see where they hurt Iowa State and uh, and see what Coach Sampson does the next time we play Iowa State. But I was watching that game and it was so early in the season. It was kind of hard to see, you know, what what each team has and how good they are. Well, now we know how good Iowa State is. OU is on the road tonight. They're playing, I believe it's TCU. So let's see how they can play on the road. Yep. But uh, that was my summarization of the game I watched. Okay. How about you, Bill? Which game did you watch? Well, I watched to toward the end because it was somewhat coincided with TCU Kansas, questionable Kansas. (laughs) With TCU's up 81-79, TCU's center, Ernest Yuda, he's the transfer from Kansas, gets a rebound with under a minute left. Hunter Dickinson's kind of battling for it as well and gets a completely incidental, non-intentional, hand to the face, and he just crumbles to the court, writhing in pain. If he doesn't fall, the game is not stopped. It's a five-on-four for TCU, up two points. Instead, yep. the officials stop play. They go to the monitor, at Fog Allen, by the way, Yep. and a flagrant one is called, and Dickinson hits the two free throws. They get the ball back. They work the ball down to... Three and a half seconds left. 3.4 seconds is when Dickinson hit the shot. But if you watch it, it, it looked semi-obvious that he sh- kind of shuffled his feet before yep. putting up the winning basket. And is there a call at Fog Allen? Of course not. <laughs> so TCU ends up losing the game 83-81. You know, TCU, from what I watched, 
second half and and then you know, saw the the box score and we were paying attention to the score during the way they played well they shot well which is sort of their trademark this year they're not very good inside dickinson scored 30 mcculler and, and adams adams scored 18 mcculler scored 16 that's really been what kansas has done all year they've got three players who who kind of carry them in scoring they don't have much more in terms of contributions and I think that's going to come back to haunt them. The other thing is they are just not, and Tom, you've alluded to this before, Kansas is soft. They've got big players, but they are soft. They're not defending well, and I'm actually looking forward when we play them. TCU was led by a player who hadn't, I think he may have transferred in from A&M Corpus Christi, Travion Tennyson. He Six of eight three pointers, twenty four points. He's he's a guy that Jamie Dixon, the TCU coach, likes a lot. Miller there, who we'll talk about, their best player was TCU is almost a not quite, but kind of a polar opposite of Iowa State. So it'll be an interesting game on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, okay. And for me, I zeroed in on the Texas Texas Tech game. In Bill, as you know, we have that standing bet on whether Tech or BYU will yeah, end the I season know. higher in the standings. Yeah. With me picking Tech, I will I will say. Hadn't been feeling great about my choice lately, but conference play allows hope to be renewed. Tech won their first two conference games while BYU lost both of theirs, so I'm pretty happy about my pick again at this point. But uh, kind of on to the Tech Texas game that I watched. Texas started fast and ran out to a 17-10 lead. Then the wheels came off with Toussaint scoring it well against uh, Asmus, who was playing softy, and tag team with Pop Isaacs to help the Red Raiders take a 37-33 lead at the half. Then it was pretty close the rest of the way with Tech pulling away on the road in the fourth quarter of the game. Though Joe Toussaint played a major role, in that stretch that got them back into the game, the key players for Tech were Pop Isaacs and Warren Washington. Now, one game doesn't define a season, but this is what we all kind of talked about in the preseason, where the big question we had with UT was, hey, could Terry kind of maintain the intensity and effort on D that we saw last year, built by Chris Beard? So far this season, beyond just this game, we're seeing them evolve into a mediocre team right so they're like 39th overall in ken palm and then especially on d where they've dropped to number 54 in adjusted defensive efficiency and then you compare that to their adjusted defensive efficiency ranking of 14th last year and 13th with beard present so again there's still the rest of the season but it's only going to get tougher for them so I'm actually looking forward to the UT game, quite honestly. Now let's get to the game preview for the upcoming UH-TCU matchup. Tom, you want to kick off and tell us what you think? I don't know a whole lot about TCU. Matter of fact, I haven't seen him play this year. I just know that Coach Jamie Dixon, he's an excellent coach. I hear it's going to be a sellout crowd. It's a road game. TCU's got a tough one tonight. They're at home uh, against Oklahoma. Uh, be a good chance for Coach Sampson and his staff to watch one game, to focus on a game here tonight, look at TCU in person, plan for this one. They'll give him Thursday, coaching staff Thursday and Friday to to prepare individually, you know, specifically for this TCU game. So you guys probably know more about TCU than I do. Bill watched that game. So, but it's going to be another, you know, what does uh, Kellen call them, street fights. Yep. Uh, you know, every road game's a street fight, rock yep. fight. I expect us to come back and bounce back from the, the tough loss at Iowa State and to come out loaded for bear. Uh, having said that, and we talked about Dunn earlier, for this team to really take off, we need some productive minutes from, from Dunn and from Ramon too, and even, even Malik Wilson. We just can't go – I just don't think we can go through this season relying on six guys. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Bill, what do you think? Well, once again, TCU is going to be a lot different than what you just alluded to because they play about 10 people. Nobody on the team plays more than 30 minutes. Of the top 10, they all play at least 10 or more. This this is a deep team. 
it's a very, very new, and it's led to some some interesting games so far. I've, I know I've previously mentioned the impressive one-point win at Georgetown when they really lost the game, but banked the three at, uh, to end <laughs> yeah. it uh, after dribbling out of bounds. They're 0-1 in conference with the, with the one loss, and I'm doing air quotes right now, being the loss to Kansas. <laughs> yeah. They're 11-3 and overall. Interestingly, Jamie Dixon going into tonight has 498 career wins. So if he beats Oklahoma, he'll be going for number 500 against us. But they're in a just a brutal stretch. I mean, they are. at Kansas versus OU, and then they finalize that three-game stretch by playing us. So we catch them, I think, at a, at a reasonably good time. They lost to Clemson. They lost to Services. Their best player, and I mentioned him, versus uh, Kansas is Emmanuel Miller, a 6'7 forward. He was honorable mention all Big Ten. He's a 50% shooter. Their whole team are good shooters. He's a good rebounder. He's he's a three-year starter for them. He's a good player. They've got another forward who's now coming off the bench, who's their second leading, Jacoby Coles. He's just a solid player. And then a third 6'7 player, a guard, Micah P. transfer from Tech. He's their third leading scorer, shoots over 50% from Again, they're not great three-point shoots, but if they're left alone, they'll hit their shots. The three other starters, Avery Anderson, 6'3", uh, transfer from Oklahoma State. He's their point guard. He's shooting 48%, leads them in assists. Travion Tennyson, who I mentioned, who had the 24 against Oklahoma, 6'4", two guard from, from A&M Corpus Really, really good shoot. And then their center is the transfer from Kansas, McDonald's All-American, Ernest Uda, and he is going to play. He's six nine. He's a big guy. He is not going to step outside of the three feet from the basket. He rebounds. He scores inside exclusively, and and so he, he's not going to be like Slazinski or some of the big guys we've played recently. Move the ball. They're a high scoring team. They've they've eclipsed a hundred three times this. They're a good shooting team. Good offensive team. The lowest scoring game they've had is 65, in a, and it was a 14-point. Like I said, they've got a lot of new players. It's still been a little up and down for them. They're not a good inside team other than, you know, Uda, but not much off the bench, and he's not really an offensive threat. And, but they're deep at guard, deep on the wing, and I think teams that have good guards typically struggle against our defense, struggle against Shed, struggle against Cryer, and uh, – I see about a 78 to 70. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I mean, looking at the advanced analytics, Houston is still number one in Ken Palm versus TCU at number 29. If you look at it from an adjusted offensive efficiency perspective, Houston's number 17th, while TCU is number 41 in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, we are number one in adjusted defensive efficiency, while TCU is number 40 in adjusted offensive efficiency. TCU is a better shooting team than us at number 38 in effective field goal percentage and an excellent offensive rebounding team, ranked number 20th in offensive rebound percentage. Plus, they try to score quick in transition with the tempo at number 37 in the country. And they're number two in quick points off steals and number five in quick points off offensive rebounds based on Haslam metrics, a trend we've seen with TCU these past two seasons in terms of speeding things up. From a style of play perspective, they also emphasize the two-point play versus the three, ranking number 12 in percentage of points from the two-point range. Then you match that up with our number one effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot and our number one ranked defensive team in defending the two point play and block percentages. And I think our D actually matches up well with how TCU wants to play offense on the other side of the ball. TCU is good at defending shooters ranking number 83 in defensive effective field goal percentage, but really elite at forcing turnovers, being number 11th in Ken Palm, and steal percentage ranking fifth. So another challenging day for our Cougs trying to protect the ball on offense. Based on the metrics, kind of like what you said, Bill, this should be an eight-point type of win. But being on the road, again, against a tough D that's just below our excellent threshold at number 41, I'm expecting something a little bit closer like a four-point win. 
I think we're going to try to slow things down to prevent their ability for transition points as they like to do. So now let's go to the game preview for the upcoming Houston Tech matchup. Bill, why don't you kick things off and let us know what you think? Okay. Tech, right now, they're 13-2. and two. The two losses, Villanova, by they lost to Butler by eight and over. I know you guys have mentioned Grant McCasland and that he's you know a good defensive coach. In that Butler loss, admittedly, it went into OT. They lost 103 to 95. They've been giving up points this year. They're they're not the same. McCausland's in his first year with Tech. He's got different players, and it's not quite playing out that way. Their best win, I think, clearly is the win at Texas that they just had. Here's where I think, Steve, you're going to be in trouble with our bet. And this is because <laughs> Tech only plays six players, and I think they're going to wear down this season. They played seven quite a bit, but they've got a forward who let them score a few times early in the season. Uh, Devin Cambridge blew out his knee versus the University of yeah. Omaha. He's done for the year. So they're really down to playing six players, and that's it. As you mentioned before, Pop Isaacs, he's their guy. He's you know, 17 points a game. He's 6'2", two, two guard. Joe Toussaint's a six-foot point guard. He's, uh, he's their second leading scorer, 14 and assists. They're the two best players. Warren Washington, you mentioned, Steve. He, I would say he's number three, seven-footer. Yep. But he's not a he, – and he, he grabs about eight boards and blocks a couple shots a game, but he's not a really physical presence, but he's a good player as well. And they play a – you know, it's, it's, it's Washington and then it's four guard. It could be a good matchup for us. They do not turn the ball over. Their guards are all capable of scoring. They're 2-0 and in the conference right now. The UT road win and then Oklahoma State, they annihilated it. All four of the guards, I think they all put up double-digit shots. One of them may have put up nine, but they – so, you know, if, if they've got the shot, they'll take it. You know, once again, they're led by Isaacs. And with the exception of maybe Walton – if they're left open, they're going to hit things. It's Kerwin Walt. You know, look look for Isaacs, Toussaint, I think, to be kind of contained much better than they have been in any of their previous games by Shed and Cryer. And I think, you know, that's trendy thing to say right now is the head of the snake. Well, their guards, Isaacs for sure, and Toussaint would be the co-heads of this. And I think going up against Cryer and Shed, that's going to neutralize them. And I also think with them only playing six players, our defensive pressure is going to wear them down. And I think we end up winning by, you know, 13, 14, 77, 16. Okay. How about you, Tom, from a coach's perspective? Yeah. Bill mentioned about, you know, Grant McCaslin coming from, uh, was it North Texas? Uh, I just kind of yep. figured Tech would be playing games in the 50s and low 60s. They've been scoring a lot of points, but they'd also been giving up a lot of points. It's probably going to take him a couple of years to get the roster that he wants. Well, I thought it took Coach Sampson his third year to, to kind of get the roster that he wanted, you know, player one through 13 to, to fit his culture. So, yeah, I'm kind of surprised at the amount of points they're, they're scoring and the amount of points they're giving up. Bill alluded to that game against Butler where they gave up. You know, Pop Isaacs, I know he, he's got some allegations uh, against him, and I guess we'll just have to see what – what happens with that? But if they lose him, uh, you know, they're also they're only playing six guys, so that, that it's going to be tough for Tech. But as it is right now, you're innocent until proven guilty, and they're just allegations. So it kind of looks like they're going to let everything go through the courts, and, and they're going to go from there. But they're a good team. It's going to be a be another rock fight. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, if you look at advanced analytics, UH as we've stated, we're number one, and Ken Palm still Tech is number twenty six, right? So they're right up there. If you look at it from an adjusted offensive efficiency perspective, we're number 17. And even though we're saying Tech is not as good defensively as North Texas State was, and that is a true statement, they are still ranked number 43rd in adjusted defensive efficiency. So that's just below our threshold of excellence. On the flip side, adjusted defensive efficiency, we're number one. And then on the offensive side, Tech is number 29 in the country. Tech is an even better shooting team than TCU. 
at number 36 in effective field goal percentage, but are not that great of an offensive rebounding team at number 99 in the country. They're very similar to us in slowing things down on offense while playing tough D. From a style of play perspective, they also emphasize the three-point shot and free throws more than the two ranking 278th in percentage of points from two-point range. Then you match that up against our number one effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot, and our number three defensive team in defending the three-point shot and block shots. I think our D is prepared to handle what Tech will throw at us on offense. You know, On the other side, Tech is good at almost everything on D, but not great at anything, quite honestly. Nothing hitting our excellent threshold of top 40 in the country. They're number 83 in defensive effective field goal percentage. One area they don't focus too much on is stealing the ball with a steal percentage rate ranked number 230th in Ken Palm this year. So the Cougs should have an easier time protecting the ball on offense against Tech. Based on the metrics, this should be around a 12-point win, similar to what you were espousing bill though playing at home i believe tech is now getting into form playing a bit better than early on so i'm I'm expecting an eight point win with another grinded out physical game like against iowa state but hopefully this time with the foul calls going a bit more our way this game so now why why don't we take a look at other big 12 games in the coming week that fans should pay attention to this week that are of interest And Tom, why don't you go first? Uh, Any game that you're zeroing in on in particular? Yeah, I was looking at OU at KU. The game's on Saturday. Uh, OU's tipping off right now at TCU. So if Oklahoma can win that game, they'd be 2-0 heading into Fog Allen. And I think that would be a great game. As you guys know, to beat Kansas at the Fog, you've got to be about 8 to 10 points better on that particular night. We know what happens at the fog. So, but I'm looking at this. Kansas is down 63 to 57 to UCF with 40 seconds left, guys. Awesome. That's wow. awesome. <laughs> Love it. And you know what? You know, I'll, I'll put it mildly, but I'm sick and tired of these KU fans on Nothing social media. Yeah. They just, you know, they just appear in everybody's feeds and, yeah. you know, they talk about our cupcake schedule and all this. Well, you know what? You're about to get beat by UCF. Hey, Tom, you know, I actually take it the other way. I'm not offended at all because we're in KU fans' head right now. They we are, are. We are. They are no. commenting it, on all know, of but, our feeds these days. And, right? and it goes back to the five slamma jamma days. They yeah. were the most arrogant <laughs> fans. You know, I don't know what it, what it was. I just remember Greg Dryling shooting a turnaround jumper and Akeem just like shoving it down his yeah. throat. You know, I, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that game at Hawthines where we, we just obliterated Kansas. So I don't know what <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't stand Kansas fans. If yeah. there's any Kansas fans to listen, I'm sure they're not, but uh, they're, too, <laughs> they're, they're too arrogant to listen to us anyway. Hey, I, I, that's what makes great rivalries. I'm looking forward to our two games this season versus KU. Hey, how about you, Bill? What, what game are you zeroing in on? Yeah, I was looking at Tech against Kansas State. And one, because we've got Tech coming up, and I like to take a look at our coming opponents. And awesome. We haven't talked much about State. For Tech, I, you know, there's not a whole lot to say that hasn't already been said. Like, you know, it's Pop Isaacs, it's Joe Toussaint, it's Warren Washington, four-guard offense, and they've got no depth. I think against us, it, that's going to hurt them, and I think against Kansas State, it could hurt Kansas State. Just real quickly, they're two and zero in conference, but the two wins are by twenty five over UCF, which bodes even better for Kansas. And they beat West Virginia on the road. Their best player, he's led them in scoring six of the fifteen games, is Tyler Perry, the five eleven lead. He's led them in assists eleven times, so he's a really good player. Their leading scorer is a six three two guard, Cam Carter. And he's led him in scoring half a dozen times. Arthur Kaluma's led him in scoring a few times. He's a good player, six seven forward. And David Nagesson, six nine four, leads them. They've lost their three games. They lost to Miami. They lost to Southern Cal. They lost at home to Nebraska. And their two best wins are Providence and 
Carter plays 36 minutes a game. Perry plays, Kaluma plays 35 minutes. Negresson plays 28. And they've got a couple others that play 21, and that's it. Hmm. So it's uh, six guys that play for them, and that has nothing to do with injuries. That's just, you know, they've got six pretty good players and no bench. And, you know, they lost two 17-plus point-per-game scorers last year from last year's team that made a deep run, um, Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. They just flat. The game's at Tech. I think the Tech will hold on only because they're playing at home. And I see them winning 75-7. Okay, very cool. But it's going to be uh, Perry and Carter versus Isaacs and Tucson, which I think will be a, a really interesting and fun matchup. to. Yeah, I completely agree. So I'm picking the Baylor-Cincy game. Baylor started 2-0 and with wins over Okie State and a close one, and BYU at home. While Cincy is 1-1 one and one with wins at BYU and a last-second loss to Texas, unfortunately. But this should be a good game with strength versus strength. Baylor's the best three-point shooting team in the country at 45% from three-point range. But are not that great of an offensive rebounding team. And while it will be a challenge for Cincy's defenders on the perimeter, but on misses, Cincinnati is number two in Ken Palm for defensive rebound percentage. On the other side, Baylor has become only good on D since Drum Tang left for KSU. But best attribute on that side is defending the three-point shot where they're ranked 54th in defensive three-point percentage defense. Issue is, since he focuses more on the two-point shot and getting quick points off offensive rebounds, ranking 10th in Haslam metrics. So this should be a fun one. Based on the metrics, this should be around an eight-point win for Baylor at home. But I also believe since he is now getting into form and playing better than early on, so... Yeah, I think it's going to be a real close one, maybe a three-point win by Baylor. So that's it for this episode 11 of No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if folks would follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We are also available on gokus.com under the podcast section or SoundCloud as well, if those that prefer to digest the content that way. We appreciate the continued support and loyalty from all, and we're going to keep trying to provide the type of deep college hoops insights for Cougar and Big 12 fans alike. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening, and episode number 12 should come out next Friday morning. So please be on the lookout to download and listen the next episode. Thanks again, everyone.